And a happy Tuesday night, everybody. Welcome into another edition of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, and my co-host, Joe Vitale. Two hours of hockey talk to get into tonight. Plenty of opportunities for you to be a part of the show. But first things first, fellas, how are both of you and what's new? I'm doing good, and uh, I, I don't know about you, Joe, but uh, he just blew my headsets off with that. So we got to get... Uh, we need this to Jeez. end so Alex can quit yelling at everybody. Jeez, that wasn't even you know, yelling. He's excited. He's enthused. I actually could use some enthusiasm right, right now, fellas. I'm going to be honest with you. This, uh, you know, Curbs, I know your wife is a teacher. I, I, okay, there's two things I know after two weeks of homeschooling, okay? There's two things I'm certain of. There are teachers in this world, and I am not one of them. Simple as that. <laughs> Just simple. Yeah. I l- Listen, I, I – I spent an hour today uh, working on conversions on units of measurement with my nine-year-old, and you know, and and I. Hey, listen, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it takes something special to be a teacher. I'm, listen, I'm going to tell you exactly what what happened. So, so Christy teaches at Rossman, okay, and uh, they had two weeks of spring break. Well, last week during that second week of spring break, they were doing all the preparations they could to get ready for the e-learning. And then the last couple days, it's been nine, ten-hour days for them trying to figure out how to work Zoom and get everything going for these kids to do it. And you know, then the teachers are going online; they're doing the best they can. They're they're emailing, you know, students, you know. And and uh, the flip side of it is, though, is I'm telling you something. I, I think there's a positive to what even the younger kids are learning about how to how to kind of manage and teach yourself a little bit here too. I, I just I think there's something positive in this somewhere. Do you find curbs that you have to relearn? Because your kids are older than mine, and because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing. We're, we're adding fractions. I mean, I can remember that. Uh, I, I almost, my heart goes out to parents who have older children who are dealing with algebra and pre-algebra and geometry and trapezoids and rhombuses. And do you find yourself having to relearn this stuff? Or no, is it kind of see, your mind? I, I got to be honest with you. I think algebra and that stuff is easier than the other stuff. Really? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah algebra like, was easiest. Like I, I, I really do, and and so I. But yeah, you had now you haven't experienced this yet, and I don't know if you will. Um, I don't know how many people are still dealing with the new math versus the old math, but oh, it's terrible. Okay, so the new math, you're sitting there going, and and I literally looked at a teacher one time, a third grade teacher, I think it was, and said, and said, uh, look, I'm pretty good at math. I mean, actually, in math, like, I went all the way through calculus three in college, right? I mean, at one Humble point. Humble brag. Yeah. No, at one, no at one, big deal. No, here's the deal. At one point, I could figure out the, the area in, of the dimension inside a three, three-dimensional three parabola, okay? Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what a parabola is. Right. Uh, I'm looking at my kids trying to add two different numbers, and I'm going, well, here's how you do it. They go, Dad, that's not how we were taught. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? So I had to relearn it. Now, now they've gone back the other way. So I don't know if I've helped Ava or not, but in the last in the last two days, we've done uh, real simple long division. We've changed how she does multiplying, <laughs> and, and she goes, she goes, Dad, this is a lot easier than the way I was taught. I go, I know. So just do it. You were going to yeah. say she's going to go back to school and be like, what the hell just happened to your math? And I, I and mean, she you're, says, well, you're right. Yeah, she said, well, what what happens if the teacher says show my work? I said, just show her the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I usually, I used but to. But you're right, Curbs. You're right because now, say for example, if it's fourteen plus seven, I mean, this is for my third grader or my, excuse me, my first grader. Fourteen plus seven, so you go, you go four plus seven, and I go, okay, so it's eleven. So you carry the one, and he's like, what, what does that mean? I go, you carry the one, you move the one over here, and then you just add it. 
He goes, no, we don't do that. Apparently, it's two tens now. Like it's two groups yes. of ten. What? Right. I'm like, yeah. what are you talking yep. about? Oh wow, that just oh, messed yeah. me up. Oh yeah, no, I'm telling you, it's 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 something now. There's there's benefits to it all, and I don't know that we should take up the whole show on this, but there, there are there are benefits to how the kids do it because now you can do the way they're doing it is is a lot of it allows you to break numbers down in your head easier. So maybe more math by just looking at it. At the same time, you know, sometimes you just got to stack two numbers and put them together and move on. And uh, <laughs> that's and that's what we got to at home. We're like, I tell you what, if the teacher wants to do it that way, that's fine. But I'm gonna teach you something. And like she was doing long division, I go, man, you don't need to keep doing that. Just move your remainder right under this number. He goes, oh wow, that's awesome. I'm like, Boy. yeah, there, there we go. So, I'm uh, sorry, is, kung is fu fighting starting playing. I thought that was Joe just rocking up to kung fu fighting. That's not me, is it? No, it's oh, not me. Apparently, it's mine. Oh, someone <laughs> decided. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that's even possible. What, I'm not sure you want to turn up the volume on some of the other websites you got on your computer there. Yeah, those are uh, those are blocked. I didn't even. Well, I'm looking at Dan. Like, is that you? And I'm like, what? I have I have the text line pulled up. That's it. So I have no idea how that happened. So hey, well, like Kung Fu Lightning. What was that about? Uh, well, welcome everybody into this week in hockey. Uh, everybody in the world of hockey trying to figure out new math and science, and uh, hopefully it's all going well for you. We, we've got actually a. Another fun show for you tonight. We're with you until 8 o'clock tonight. Coming up here in just a couple of minutes at 6.15, we're going to uh, – Big Walt, Keith Kachuk, is going to join us. He was really an instrumental part of the St. Louis Blues drafting Scott Perunovich in the second round. So we're going to get uh, from him what he saw, kind of where he's at. And he's, of course, followed Scott over the last couple of years as well. So we'll talk to Big Walt about that. Pat Maroon is going to join us later in the program at 7.30. And then Scott Sandlin at 7 o'clock it was Scott Perunovich's head coach for the three years at Minnesota Duluth. So give you a real good idea on the signing of the St. Louis Blues and why it was important. There's been a couple other things to go through. Uh, Alex, uh, the NHLPA did their player poll, so we're going to have some fun with that. Yeah, we're going to do a little little uh, Q&A. We're going to see uh, who knows the hockey players better, you or Joe Vitale. Oh, that's going to be Joe, I would hope, by far. I would too, oh, but you so. think? But you've I been, would hope so. You've been watching the league for a while, so. Yeah. And then, then, then... I've got some. I've got a question for you two. We'll do a little later on in the program regarding Stanley Cups and playoff appearances, and I've got a stat regarding the Montreal Canadiens that's going to make you go, "Wow, are you kidding me?" And if it doesn't make you say exactly that, it's going to make you some say some variants of that. Was that your was that your ability to close up that loop, loophole to make sure that yeah, Joe and I didn't say you, it? Well, because you guys probably won't say, "Wow, are you kidding me?" But I do. I would expect some, <laughs> being that it is well, it is radio, so you know, Joe being still new might just give an eye roll, but realize nobody could see it because it's on the radio. <laughs> All right, so that's always my always my favorite when we're calling games. Curve is like, I mean, folks. This thing was this close, and I see him put up his hands, and he goes, I know it doesn't do much for you over the airways, but hey, but you know what helps me? Yeah, yeah, that's all that matters. It puts it into perspective with that. Well, we also have the text line. We have the mic drop uh, feature for you and the phone line if you want to call in with us. That's 314-974-0101. We'll do a little questions with us a little bit later on this hour. Get uh, those blues questions for Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale, and myself, and we'll answer those as we move along. And we got some exciting stuff to announce, and I know it's been talked about today on the radio, but a uh, lot Lots of hockey throughout the week, starting yeah. this week. Not only you get this week in hockey, but you get the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors behind the bench show. Curbs, you're going to be hosting that. John Kelly's going to be a part of it where you're going to be yep. previewing um, or looking back at uh, Blues head coaches throughout the history. And then Thursday and Friday, 
we're debuting what we're calling Play Gloria, where we're taking you back to last season from big moments in the regular season and then, of course, the playoffs. It's Craig Berube's first ever NHL win as the Blues head coach. And then it's Jordan Bennington's first NHL victory against the Philadelphia Flyers. And then it's every win in the Stanley Cup playoffs, including the hand pass game. Yeah, it, it, a fun thing. It's, it's going to be called Play Glory. It's, it's brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. And it, the fun aspect of what's going to happen here is basically not only are you going to get the great hockey segments throughout the day on the Bernie Miklas show and on Anthony uh, Stalter's show on Stalter and Rivers and on the Fast Lane. But then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday now for the next couple months, depending on how long this stoppage is, you're going to have hockey coming your way. You've got this weekend hockey on every Tuesday night from 6 to 8. You've got behind the bench every Wednesday night from 6 to 7. And then you've got Play Gloria, the replay of those games on Thursday and on Friday. And like you said, this Thursday, we're doing the uh, we're doing Craig Berube's first win on Friday, Jordan Bennington's first win, but each of those games, by the way, uh, Joe and Alex, is going to have a one hour long pregame show where the three of us are going to be kind of uh, breaking down what happens in the game and kind of the impact. So we get we get to kind of play. Uh, we I guess we get to kind of play Biff McFly or not Biff McFly. We get to play Biff from the um, from the Back to the Future That's series. Sure. Biff Tannen when. Uh, he got the old sports almanac, and he kind of knows what's coming. Biff McFly. We all, we kind of know what's coming. We know what's coming. So we, hey, we, McFly. Oh yeah, yeah that's the one where he, he grabbed like the uh, the sports almanac. That's right. And then uh, yeah. of course he knew all he knew all the scores, and he become he came like a became a billionaire. That's right. That'd be the way to do it. And he still would fly the hoverboard right into the truck of manure. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario, Dan Betlock is here. We will get to Keith Kachuk, Big Walt next, talking about the scouting, the drafting, and signing of the new Blues young defenseman, Scott Perunovich. So we'll get to that next here on This Week in Hockey on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. And we welcome you back into uh, This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber alongside Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale as well. Hopefully having a terrific start to your week as we start to get into some deeper th- hockey goings on, for lack of a better way of putting it. Big Walt, uh, don't call him Walt. Uh, don't call him Keith. Call him Big Walt. Big Walt joins us. Keith Kachuk, uh, kind enough. He's part of the Blues front office now as he is in charge of scouting some of the college kids and some of the amateur scouting. And he's kind enough to give us some time here on a Tuesday night. Big Walt, how you doing, buddy? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. How you guys doing? We are doing well. Uh, before we get into Scott Perunich, uh, are, are the boys and everybody back home, the family unit all together, or did they stay in Calgary and in Ottawa? No, they're back home now, so it's uh, under the circumstances. It's nice to see them. Uh, so it's, it's been crazy here. Everybody's itching to get out, but it's nice having, having them back, though. My mom always said to me, she, she'd always say, she, she'd say, if you go to college and then want to come back and live at home, I didn't do my job. <laughs> hey, it, it's tough when you have a 22 and a 20 year old making more money than you living on their own. They're coming back to our house. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's some trying times. There's no question about that. No doubt about it. Well, listen, thanks for giving us a couple moments. We wanted to have you on this week because you played a big role, obviously in the blues drafting Scott Perunovich, who they announced 
at the end of last week that they have agreed to terms with him. And we'll get into it in, in just a little bit, kind of how the agreeing to terms part works now with this pause in the season. But can you take us back to some of the uh, the, the beginning days of when you started looking at Scott Perunovic and what you saw early on that at least made you raise an eyebrow to keep an eye on him? Well, his freshman year, when he obviously he went through the draft a couple times, and he was, uh, you know, his freshman year at Minnesota Duluth, and that's kind of my job right now as player uh, director of player recruitment is going around watching free agents, and uh, as well as you know, if there's available availability and drafting kids out of college, why not? So obviously, uh, Jay Nemec, the other U.S. guy, I started watching him, and obviously he stood out being a you know freshman, a puck mover, and. Then he went to the World Juniors as well and um, obviously had a great year too and just continued to get better and better as, as the years went. And, you know, um, has that winning mentality. And, and, you know, that's when you bring in the guys who finally make the decisions and drafted players like Bill Armstrong. So, obviously, he's somebody that uh, we're happy to get in the second round. And he continued to progress. And, you know, and, and it's nice to finally see him come out and be a part of the St. Louis Blues. I'm excited to see him. He's, he's, he's going to be a fun player for the fans to watch. He's, he's a great kid, and obviously he's got uh, a lot of talent. Uh, Keith, hey, Joey here. Hey, we had Tony Granato on a couple weeks ago, and, and we were talking about Cole Caulfield, their, uh, first rounder by Montreal. He plays for Wisconsin. He's going back for his sophomore season. We got into a great discussion about what goes into a college player finishing off their college career or, or jumping early into the professional. Of course, uh, Scott here in his junior season, he's going to leave early. What about his game in particular made you realize that he's ready for the NHL right now? Well, he just – good forwards want to play with good defense and not to move the puck. He makes plays almost look so easy from the back end. And when you can find a defenseman that can skate as well as he can skate – and have that, you know, head on a swivel and, and, and be able to see the whole ice, you know, under pressure. Those are hard to come by. You know, he has those little things in the little things that just make others better. And, and you know, and they're they're a good team. They won the last two years of national championship, got a great opportunity to win this year. And, and you know, he was a big reason for that. And, um, you know, I just think, you know, he's just very mobile on his feet. And, and the best part about him, too, he doesn't take any crap either. He gives it back. <laughs> He's got a little fire under his belly, so that's what I really, really liked about him. Uh, Keith, you've experienced this with your two boys, one who played in junior hockey in the Ontario Hockey League and the other who played at collegiate level. What's the biggest difference of players being in the collegiate level and then turning pro compared to a player that's playing in the junior league and going pro? That's a great point, Joe. You Obviously, you played college, and you know what it's like. Some kids develop at a different rate. And um, and with Scott, he was a little bit undersized. And with any player, you know, you – you know, Matthew felt that he was ready to make that step to play, you know, a lot of games. He finished high school. He wanted to go play in a, in a league where he felt that it would go get to the NHL quicker. And Brady felt, you know, he needed more time to develop. And that's what college is all about. College is an older, older league where you're playing against men. It gives you time to, during the week, to build a structure around the weight room. And you only play two games a week most of the time on weekends. So it gives you that time to recover and, and work on some of the body because everybody grows at a different rate. And and sometimes, you know, you're seeing more and more college players come out. I mean, it's just, you know, you're playing against older players as opposed to the junior ranks, which is a great league in the CHL, which is a younger league. So it gives you an opportunity 
you know, some guys feel in college, it's, you know, you're playing against men that'll make an easy adjustment move into the next level, which is the NHL. And everybody's on their own path. Everybody takes different, you know, paths and different times to get to their ultimate goal. We're talking to Keith Kachuk here on This Week in Hockey on the home of your St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN as the Blues have agreed to terms with Scott Perunovich. And uh, those terms are basically he's got two contracts sitting in front of him. And the bottom line is this. He can, uh, depending on how things go, if this season were to continue, there's an option that he might be able to play this year. Depending on how those agreements come and the new uh, startup rules happen, if that doesn't happen, there's another opportunity where his terms for the St. Louis Blues would begin next year. And again, all that. A lot of unknowns that have yet to be worked out and will be worked out if and when leagues can get up and running again. But Keith Kachuk was part of uh, seeing him, scouting him, and helping the Blues figure out how to draft him. Keith, when a player like Scott wants to go back and had a chance to maybe turn pro last year, but says, I still want to go back and have a chance to win that third championship and says, I want to be part of something and have a chance to be part of something that's really rare, three straight national championships in college. Is that something that speaks to the character of that player? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't force guys to take out. I mean, that's one of the other things. We draft him because of his character. And, you know, if we if he feels like he needs another year, and we spent a lot of time with him over the course of the years. Our development staff, Timmy Taylor and Glenn Wesley, and you have guys like Al and, and Doug, you know, Dave Taylor and so forth going to see him. And you can't force guys to sign. You can recommend, you know, you can just let them know. You, you, don't, you know, we're here for you. If you want to sign, we'll sign it. If you think it's beneficial to go back to win again, hey, go for it, you know. But, you know, you know when the season ends, we want you. And, uh, you know, he, he's had, he's part of that core that came in at a young age and they just kept on winning and winning. And I don't blame these kids who want to go back. I mean, hey, who doesn't want to stay in college? It's a great time. <laughs> but, but we're glad he's out now. We're, we're glad he's going to take that next step. And, you know, I think the fans are going to be happy when they see him come out and play. Walt, when you talk about defensemen, uh, particularly with the St. Louis Blues from Duluth, you obviously think of Justin Falk who played there back in 2010. Now he makes a jump to Carolina and within his first year, he has an impact at the national hockey league level. Do you, do you see Scott's journey kind of being like that where he could possibly come in next year and have an impact at the NHL level, or is his journey going to be more of maybe some growing pains in the minors? You know, everybody has their own opinion. I mean, you know, we, we obviously, you know, have, you know, who knows what's going to happen, you know, with this, when the season starts, what the salary cap, or what's going to happen. So there's going to be opportunities for him to, to show his talent. And, you know, he's great in the power play. If he needs to come in and play, there's no doubt in my mind that he can do that. Now, if we want to take the approach and get some games in the American League, hey, you know, that that's a great league. Everybody knows who plays there. It's a great hockey league for development. But, you know, he wants to be in the NHL. There's no doubt in my mind he'll hit his play. Will will dictate where he goes, and and, his, and he has confidence, and that's one another thing about him. His, his confidence level is at all time high. I mean, he's put up some serious points, 105 points, I think, in you know 115 or so games at as a defenseman in the toughest conference in college hockey, that NCHC, which you know I've watched all college hockey the last three years, and that is the most difficult conference. A lot of great players, so. There's no doubt in my mind that he's ready to make this next step and help this team win another championship. Big Walt, we're, we're starting to see a lot more of these smaller statured defensemen having success in the league. When you look at this year, Kale McCarr and what he was doing, Quinn Hughes with the Vancouver Canucks. Could we be see something very similar with Scott Perunovich in the NHL? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great point. I mean, you, you look at, you know, the Fox kid in, for the Rangers, Quinn Hughes and McCarr. These are, these are talented players that, you know, you know, have the new generation defense and who are a little bit smaller, but are very mobile on their feet and create, you know, opportunities offensively. Their, their brain is so elite and, you know, that's what you need. And, you know, when you look at the fours that we have on our team with like O'Reilly and Shen and Tarasenko, Perron, all these guys, Schwartzy, they want defense and who can find, who can get them the puck, and that's what this kid can do. So, you know, time will tell. He's a great kid. I'm, I'm you know, I'm looking forward for him to have the opportunity to put the jersey on. Last one for you here, Walt. Uh, how much are you enjoying this role in terms of scouting? And did you think that this would be an aspect of the business? that you would find enjoyable? Well, it's great. It really is. I mean, uh, I'm getting more involved, you know, both on the amateur side and the pro side. I've tried different things and, you know, and, you know, what you see, the success you've seen last year, you know, makes you want to continue to work hard to try to help this franchise, you know, win. And, and, you know, I'm proud of being a St. Louis Blues. I'm proud to see what we've done over the last bunch of years and, and you know i love it i really do it's it's i think it's a great opportunity to learn learn more and doug and you know is obviously a great boss to work for and, and some of the guys that we have in our staff and and then you also can reconnect with other guys you see on the road that you yeah you played with or played against so it's, it's a tight-knit community and you know i love helping the san Louis blues and i want to do it for a long time you're always great to us, brother. We appreciate it very much, man. Thanks for giving us a couple minutes here on your Tuesday night and uh, some insight into the type of the player the St. Louis Blues just got under contract. Thanks, Keith. We appreciate it a lot. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Good luck. Stay safe. All right. That is Big Walt, Keith Kachuk, joining us here on This Week in Hockey. And, you know, when we come back, I want to take Joe Vitale back to his college days. Uh-oh. And I want to ask him if there is a major change needed in college hockey. Mm. All right, we'll do that yeah, when we come back. It's this, yeah, it's, it's this weekend. By the way, oh, hey, real quick here. How many more people are freaking making bread that were never making bread? My daughter wanted hey, to. My, I've started. My, did you really? I've started. Okay, whole wheat? Uh, no, sourdough. I, I got the I got a a book. Um, boy, I, I forgot who, who put it together, but I got it on Amazon and I got it on my, my iPad at home. So I'm following along how to make sourdough bread like Joe. Okay, that, that, that's pretty good. But like, my, my daughter wanted the other day, she's really getting into baking. She wanted to make some uh, homemade soft pretzels. Nice. Like, what in the hell is with this pandemic that causes all the yeast in a store to disappear? <laughs> you know, John Kelly, he, he lives over here in Kirkwood. I saw him on the road today, by the way, folks. He looks great. Looks like he lost a little bit of weight. But I saw John Kelly. He asked me, he goes, do you have any yeast? He yells across the street. I had Matt Foley's <laughs> wife, Maggie, who uh, who works uh, who works with the Blues. She comes over. We talked all about starter. I gave her some of my starter. I've never given away so much starter in my life. People are hemmed in. They're inside. They're in confined areas. And they just want to make bread. There's something to do also with, and I know it sounds bad, but when you're kind of sad, Baking bread is a great hobby because you're isolated, you're in your home, and you can do it with your hands, and it's very therapeutic. Can we can we address the fact that Joe and John Kelly are shouting, hey, do you got any yeast across the street in Kirkwood? I, I said I don't have any fresh yeast right now, but I can get some to you tomorrow. That's what I said to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Here you go. A bigger question. Uh, Joe Vitale, who played four years at Northeastern, played four seasons was the at, captain. at Northeastern. He was, he was a captain. We'll find out. We'll, I got a question for him when we come back on uh, This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN.
Hey, we have the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, with us as well. A big thank you to Big Walt for hopping on with us in our previous segment. In our next segment, we are going to get a little game with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale, put broadcast partners head-to-head in the results from the NHL Players Association. Yeah, we're going to see how good – we're going to tally it up and see who comes out on top. All right. Any pining for it before we get into that? Nope. Okay, good. Nope. That's good. Uh, uh, real quick, though, text line 65780 if you want to jump into the conversation. If you have questions for Curbs, Joey, or myself, the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. You can sa- uh, send us Rhino Shield mic drops on the 101 ESPN app, or you can give us a phone call at 314-974-0101. Joe, hockey question for you from a college perspective. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I really started to wonder about this a lot over the last couple of years more and more college hockey unlike the other collegiate sports has gotten away from what i would call the true freshman so Mm -hmm. a true freshman by the way i am defining it is a kid leaves his senior year of high school and becomes a freshman in college so if you were like me you were becoming a freshman at the age of 19 if you know or 18 or 19 years of age all right you're becoming a freshman it's been this way in college hockey now for a while where unless you are pretty much the top of the top you do not have a lot of you do not have a lot of players going straight from high school directly into a collegiate program a lot of them go and they might play in the USHL they might play a year or two of junior hockey and a lot of freshmen in college hockey are 20 if not 21 years of age and i i I, part of me just i guess for the purity of it would love to see it go back to the other way where these kids aren't going and playing a couple years of hockey somewhere else before becoming a collegiate hockey player can college hockey go back to that or or should they Is, is, is it good the way it's doing it or should they go back the other way you know, you know, curves. I I don't know. I, to me, w- without that year between, I wouldn't have made it to college, and, and I mean that because no colleges wanted me out of high school. Listen, uh, I grew up here in St. Louis. I played all four years at CBC High School. Uh, hockey was not what it is now, and even if it was, if you played just high school, you're not really going to go many places as a true freshman. So I graduated from there. Uh, no colleges wanted me. So thankfully, I went to the USHL, which is a junior league. And there was that one year between high school and college where I basically took off just to play hockey that got me ready uh, for the collegiate level. You know, what's interesting about it, I remember hearing a college coach telling me this before, uh, they love the junior leagues for this reason. Because as a college recruiter, it's too much area to cover if you're recruiting for a freshman class. So if you're, let's just say, you're a recruiter, assistant coach for the Boston College uh, Golden Golden Eagles, if you have to cover the entire United States and look at all these high school games, across, you're going to miss people. People are going to fall into the holes. These junior leagues are set up because what they do is they basically kind of siphon, uh, kind of funnel all the best players from everywhere into, let's say, 15 to 20 teams where it's a lot more manageable for these scouts to keep an eye on the best of the best uh, as far as instead of just scattered all over the place. Again, without that junior league, I wouldn't have uh, – Northeastern would have never found me. I was scouted through that league, sent me to Northeastern, and I played there for years. So I am very grateful for it. It gives players a year 
to get even more mature. It kind of helps them grow up a little bit before college, too. I mean, I was a knucklehead in high school. I can't imagine going right in as a freshman. I don't know if I maturity-wise would have been necessarily just ready for that just yet. So, uh, you know, moving off on my own, Sioux Falls, I had a housing family. Uh, I had to learn how to, you know, do things like get groceries and manage a bank account. I did all those things as I came into a freshman. And the other thing, too, is I, I turned 21 beginning of my sophomore year, so I bought everyone beer. <laughs> that's the way that's the captain now okay so and and I'm, I'm just i'm playing i'm not so much playing devil's advocate just asking scenarios so so it seems to be and scott sandlin by the way is the head coach of uh of the minnesota duluth program he's going to be joining us at seven o'clock he was um scott Barunovich's head coach for the last three years in college hockey and maybe uh, we'll end with a question along these lines for him as well to get his thoughts on this but so I understand why it could definitely make recruiting easier, but at this at the same time, all the other sports in college are able to do it the other way. Is it because of is it because of the low the fewer number of players playing college hockey? I mean, because I, I got to think, Joe, that if, and not college, the fewer number of players playing high school hockey compared to the other sports. I, I have to think somewhere along the lines that if you were competing against other freshmen, not a system that was already in place where as a freshman at 18, you're going in and playing against freshmen that are 20, I would think you would have been just fine in college hockey. Well, I mean, it's an interesting point uh, from a physically maturity standpoint. You know, it, it's funny. I, this book called Outliers. I don't know if you guys have read it by Malcolm Gladwell. Fantastic book. Uh, it talks to his opening chapter. It basically talks about how people either make it or don't make it or what, what stands out about the people that kind of set them up apart. And his first chapter really surrounded around uh, the age group and what, what month of the year you're born and how that can have an effect. He was sitting at a tournament. And he was watching these two teams playing the championship. And he was just looking at the roster. This, this is what inspired him to write this book. Every hockey player, like 94% of all the players on both teams, were born in the month of January, February, and March. Okay, so in hockey, it's all based off birth year. So you play with the 2000s. You're born in 2001, you play with the 2001. Now, if you're born January 1 of 2001, you will play against someone who was born December 30th of 2001. Now, that has a whole year of difference from a maturity right. standpoint, especially throughout puberty. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. So, and I put, I say that to you because as a freshman, I came in, I had a big barrel chest. I had hair everywhere, and I was playing against kids who were, were 18. I was 20. They were 18. I had a much better advantage uh, from that standpoint that goes. Now, if they end up going back to that and even the playing field, then, yes, yeah, so I think, of course, you can look at it that way where at least everyone will be across the playing field. But even if you do that where you have to go right from high school uh, to college, curve, uh, there is still going to be a difference, and so much of it has to do just based off uh, birth year and birth advantage. Well, let's pull this back into the St. Louis Blues a little bit here. One of the trends that you really are seeing, and, and the way again, the way the game is called, the way the game is played, the way the rules are allowing for certain things, I think it's opening the door again for the impact smaller player. Um, you know, guys don't have to have the same kind of bite, you know, that a Theo Fleury had, for example, just to find space and, and to be able to survive game in, game out in the National Hockey League. Having said that, college players that get to their junior or senior year 
are coming into a game. Colton Pareko, for example, okay, played his three years in college. He's coming to the pros now much more grown into his body at 23 years of age than some of the junior players whose junior careers are ending when they're 19 years old or if you're over age 20. And, again, you want to talk about another three years of body development, you know, so that's why sometimes I think college players at times, even though they don't play a pro schedule like the junior players do, sometimes physically the college players are more physically ready to handle the rigor of the NHL game because of the size that they're playing against versus a junior player. It's It, it really is a little bit of a yin and a yang there. No, it really is. And you hear, like, you know, Big Walt just talked about it in the last segment. You know, everyone's different. Everyone's journey is different. You know, I, when parents ask me this, like, do my, does my kid go to junior or does he go to college? To me, I, I've always said you got to let the kid choose. Uh, a lot of times if it's a skill forward who is a shoe-in for the NHL, he's going to be a first round or his first two rounds. Uh, if they feel confident going to the O and just playing the year there and moving on, great. If it's, if it's a late rounder, if it's maybe not even drafted, I always tell people err on the side of college simply from an education standpoint as a great backup. But then there's also the side here, the side notion that you are so much physically mature. Uh, curves another thing too, um, from a mental emotional standpoint, these are these are typically more mature kids than you're coming from junior uh, college. You got to get up at 8 a.m. You have a good regiment of going to classes. You got to have discipline to show up to class. Um, to keep up with your grades, to be in the system of college, you're facing pressures all the time. Uh, in junior, it's a little bit more freewheeling. It's, you know, sometimes players are, get part-time jobs. Other times they're in high school, depending on that age gap. But it's, it's really just hockey and a lot of video games. I mean, Robert Thomas talks about it all the time. Jordan Cairo, all they did all day was play video games and play hockey. And that was it. Uh, so I think you look at it from a college perspective, not only from a phys- physical maturity standpoint, like where we're going to see from Scott Perunovich, who the Blues just signed, and Colton Pareko, another one, Justin Falk, uh, Zach Sanford only played two years at Boston College before he was ready. They, they can kind of come in, and I think their adjustment to the National Hockey League is a lot swifter because of that kind of emotionally connected, mature standpoint of having to go into the regiment of education. Not only that, but I think from a size standpoint, they have some meat on their bones. Guys, look at Robert Thomas. I mean, he looks like a different human being this year compared right. to last year. He is thick. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he has he has bulked up from year one to year two. Now imagine if he came into his rookie year the size he is right now, and that's what college produces for you. Let me ask you this before we go to break: um, What's the highest pick you think a freshman out of college win in the NHL? The highest pick? Yeah. Uh, a freshman? Yeah, freshman out of college. Paul Paul Korea. Well, what was what was Brady what was Brady Kachuk? Kachuk went four, didn't he? Uh, Was he a freshman though? Yeah, yeah, he just finished his freshman year. Because I just pulled this up on on the uh, NCAA's website, and they have Alex Turcott who went fifth overall, the highest. Uh, Okay. Who was a freshman? Oh, you know what? Paul Korea played two years at University of Maine. My bad. But yeah, but I, because I'm I, telling you, Brady was Brady sixth. No, I thought Brady, Brady Matthew, was fourth. Matthew was sixth. Matthew was sixth. Well, mm-hmm. Brady, won, but Brady played well. Yeah, because he only played one year in Boston. Well, NCAA's website's not right then. But, well, was he? Uh, what, what? Yeah, because Brady was drafted and then started playing that very next year. Correct. Right? Yeah. 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 So, so NCAA's so website. Brady, Brady would be fourth. But this is insane to me. Nine of 
this past year's first round draft picks. So the 2019 NHL draft, nine of the first round draft picks all were freshmen in college. Well, and and when you talk to scouts about this, it's it's not a surprise because again, it's one of the arguments that some people have used in terms of raising the draft age. They believe that if you raise the draft age, you're going to take out a little bit more of the guesswork because much to to the, all the points that Joe was just making about body and all that other stuff, you are taking out one more year of growth guessing in that aspect of it. So, again, not surprised. Now, I think it also speaks volume to the growth of the college game, more good college programs, more kids choosing to go the education route than the junior route, the growth of the game in the United States, put all that together because it's more culturally. And, for example, when Pierre Maguire goes on the air and says, well, you know, he played three years with with the Guelph Storm, it doesn't mean squat to 98% of people in the United States. Uh. But if you put on a college football game and they say he's a third-year defensive tackle out of Notre Dame, you know exactly what that means. Right. Part of it is cultural. So I, I think it's it, it, some of what you're seeing sp- speaks to the growth and the development of the game. Now, not all those nine. I mean, some of those nine could be Canadian or Canadian players, too, or maybe from another country. But the point is, is that's where the college game is growing. That's Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We're going to play a little game with Kerbs and Joey next. The NHLPA put a list out from... So from topics that players voted on. So we'll see if Curbs and Joey can guess the right answer next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Final time this hour of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale with you. we got plenty more hockey conversation to get into. Scott Sandlin will join us at the top of the 7 o'clock hour as he is the head coach at University of Minnesota Duluth. He was the head coach of Scott Perunovich, so we'll chat with him at 7 o'clock. Then at 7.30, it's the hometown hero, baby, Pat Maroon, joining us here on This Week in Hockey. But first, we're going to wrap up this hour with a little game between Chris Kerber and Joey V, broadcast partner against broadcast partner. So if you haven't seen it, the NHL Players Association put out a list of questions that were given to NHL players, and they were voted on, and the players decided who wins these categories. So I'm going to give you, Curbs, and you, Joe, a category. I'll give you the top four finishers, and you guys guess who wins. All right. On board? Okay, I'm Okay, game. we'll start with... We'll start with the first one. Are we alternating who's guessing first? or Yeah, Joe, you guess first, and then I'll guess second. Okay. So, Joe, whoa, you guess whoa, first. That puts, me at, that puts me at a disadvantage. No, I thought it was going to give you an advantage. All right, I'll well, guess first. We won't tell you if you're right or wrong once you answer. You, we're yeah. both going to answer. So, you, you know, no can, advantage can here, Joe. I'll go first. I don't can, want Joe uncomfortable there. He's, he's spreading yeast around Kirkwood. Guy? He's spreading yeast. Yeah, you could pick the same guy. <laughs> Yeah, you okay, can pick this. Okay, you. all right. Best. Uh, I'll go. I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay, oh, Joe's going jeepers. first now. He now he's comfortable. Your mind. This game isn't that hard. <laughs> all right. Uh, Best forward: Sidney Crosby, Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, Nikita Kucherov. McDavid, Be- easy. Best forward. Best forward. <sighs> all right. He this go, is voted he, on by the players. This is voted on by the players. Yes. McDavid. I, I'm, McDavid. Go- I'm going. Best forward, I'll say Crosby. It's Connor McDavid. Okay. All right. Out of a total of 555 votes, McDavid got 68.3%. Best defenseman, John Carlson, Victor Hedman, Roman Yossi, Drew Doughty, Brent Burns. 
Dan, I'm I need you to keep Carlson. track. Okay, Joe went Carlson. I'll go Hedman. Victor Hedman is correct. What? 37.8%. I would take Victor Hedman over John Carlson, wouldn't you? Uh, I don't know. I like Carlson. John Carlson got 21.4%, 519 total votes. Okay, and again, it's it, one of the things to point out here is, again, these were voted on by the players. So Correct. when when I'm one of the believers that all of these year-end awards should come from the players anyway, so th- th- this is a I, – I like this poll that they did. I'm a little surprised Petro's not on this. Not trying to be a homer here, but okay, well, the NHL's discussing. Y- yeah, well, okay – I would the way, especially this season, I'd take Petra over Burns and Dowdy in that group, yeah. without a doubt. Best goaltender: Mark Andre Fleury, Sergei Bobrovsky, Carey Price, Andre Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky, easy. All right, I. You know what? <laughs> I like how Joe keeps saying easy. I I <laughs> I agree with you, but the players have always loved Carey Price. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going with history here and I'm saying Carey Price. It's Carey Price. No way. <laughs> I disagree. I, by the way, forty-one point seven percent Vasilevsky got seventeen percent. How stupid! Hey, That's Joe. A joke. How stupid is this comment gonna be? Right? How, how dumb is this comment gonna be? I'm a broadcasting league. I disagree with the players. <laughs> I, I realize how dumb that comment is because I just said I think the players should vote on it. Right. You know, but but I'm telling you what, I don't think that Carey Price in the last couple years has been a difference maker for Montreal as much as he could have been. And and I I tell you what, a little later on, when I give you that fact in the second hour about the Montreal Canadiens, it might speak some volumes to that. But Joe, I'm telling you, like I I think the way they're playing right now, I think there's several goaltenders in the league you might take over Carey Price. Oh, and it just it irks me so much because he's making what's he making ten million dollars? Like yeah, it, it just boils me over even more because he makes that much, and I just I have not seen him become a difference maker. All right, next one, most complete player again voted on by the players. Most complete player is it Sidney Crosby, Alexander Barkov, Patrice Bergeron, or St. Louis's own Ryan O'Reilly? Oh, um, complete player. I go maybe. <laughs> Maybe Crosby then. Yeah, this one I'm going Crosby with the way the league looks. Crosby's correct, 45.4%. Next closest was Patrice Bergeron at 25.5%. Unfortunately, Ryan O'Reilly got 5.3%. Okay, Okay. see, that's that's crap too. Right. Like like in all seriousness right now. Okay, now, now wait a minute. Now, I, I completely understand why Crosby is up at the top there. The guy works hard on both ends of the ice, okay? And you're talking about a guy that can still get you 100 points a year, you know, but... I'm not five percent. Yep. To 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 the factor there, Joe. I'm not buying that one either. To be honest with you. Okay, easy there, Jack Edwards. I mean, Ryan <laughs> O'Reilly. Listen, I think he deserves more percentage points than that. But That's I'm all I said. The most... <laughs> no, I didn't either. I said Crosby's the shit. Now, okay, listen. I know you've been on vacation for a while, but listen up there, Papa. All right. I I said he deserves a bigger percentage factor than that. Okay, we got a couple more before we got to get to Scott this in our next segment. It's 3-2, by the way. 3-2, Curbs. curbs. In the lead. Okay, so we're going to do three more. Okay. Okay. Best trash talker. Ooh. Drew Doughty, Ryan Reeves, Pat Maroon, Brad Marchand. Oh, I got to go with the hometown hero. We're talking to him in a bit, Patty. Uh, Ryan Reeves. 
Brad Marchand. Oh, Marchand with 25.7. Dowdy with 13.4. Reeves at 11.1. Maroon with 3.8. Maroon deserves a lot more credit than Are that. Are you sure your computer isn't upside this, down on that one? <laughs> nope. I'm looking <laughs> right at it. Here. Okay, the next one. Worst okay. trash talker. Okay. Drew Dowdy. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. How is the guy in the list for the best and the worst? Drew Dowdy, P.K. Subban, Cousins, who I, I think it's Nick Cousins from Montreal, and Brad Marchand. So you got two guys with the same on both of them. Uh, I think probably Brad Marchand because I just feel like players can't stand him. I'll go P.K. Subban. It's Brad Marchand. So he gets the best trash talker and the worst trash talker. I don't know how that works. Yeah, that's not possible. I don't know how that works. Okay, so you don't like either of those. Funniest player, Drew Doughty, Brad Marchand, Phil Kessel, or Keith Yandel? Oh, this is your boy here. Keith Yandel is the fun, probably the funniest hockey player I've ever played with from start to finish. I'm going Keith. All right, what, what are the choices again? Uh, Keith Yandel, Drew Doughty, Brad Marchand, Phil Kessel. I'll go Kessel. It's Keith Yandel. All right. And oh, after oh, listening oh, to that yeah. interview last week, made sense. Yes. Okay, two oh, more, no. and then we're going to out of here. down by one now, Dan? You're... Uh, one, two, three, four, to one, two, three, four. Tie game. Tie, tie game. game. So two oh, more. Baby. Two more. Wait, two more? We could end up in a tie. What kind of game is that? Two more. Okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry, I miscalculated. Joey is up 4-3. Yeah, okay, 4-3. Two yeah, right, more. Okay, I knew right, my story so were right. This one. right. Best nickname. David Pasternak with pasta. Artemi Panarin, Breadman, which that's stolen from Joe Vitale. Christian Fisher, whose nickname is Stinky. <laughs> Thomas Tatar, whose nickname is Tuna. <laughs> There's a reason I put those two next to each other. You know, I, I got to give a little love to the bread man. Yeah, I'm going Panarin. It's actually Tuna. Tomas Tatar. <laughs> Tuna is the best nickname. All right, final one. We'll Tomas see. Tomas Tatar sauce. I would have thought tartar sauce. I would have thought sauce would have been his name. All right, so I need this one to tie. Yeah. Best bromance. Oh. Joe Thornton and Brent Burns. Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. I like this one. Matthew Kachuk and Drew Doughty. Jamie, Ben, Tyler Sagan, Brad Marchand, and Patrice Bergeron, or David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly. I think if you put Brent Burns and Joe Thornton on the cover of ESPN Butt Naked, to me, that <laughs> that, that gets the award for best bromance. That's a good call. What, uh, I, I'll go uh, just just so, so the other ones? A, just so I have a chance, yeah. just in case. And you didn't think you'd have an advantage, did you, Joe? Um, uh, I will go... Uh, who are the other ones? Matthews Uppers? and Marner, yeah. Ben Sagan, Perron and O'Reilly, Kachuk Doughty, Marshan Bergeron. I'm Kachuk Doughty. No, it was Perron and O'Reilly. Oh, no yeah. kidding, huh? It was because of that uh, the French toast costumes from Halloween. Ah, they got the 6.5%. Oh, Doughty and Kachuk got 37 That was second? Yeah. They were number two? I thought that was hilarious. I, I went with the anti-bromance <laughs> approach to that one. So Joey V That's wins. That's pretty good. Joey V wins. And hey, again... Curb, can you- Curve, would you mind just saying uh, over the air for everyone here, all hail to King Joey? Yeah, all uh, – wait, who? <laughs> Me, King Joey, I want to beat you. <laughs> all hail King Joey. Uh, I th- I, listen, I think that one that, – that was a stupid category, the trash talker one. You can't have the best and worst trash talker. I'm throwing, I'm throwing in a prize. I'll never win easy. Well, the voice of the blues, easy. Chris Kerber, King Joey – 
I'm Alex Ferrario. We're going to come back with Scott Sandlin, the head coach of the University of Minnesota Duluth hockey team. Our number He's the head two, coach is Scott Perunovich. Uh, we'll talk with him hockey. next on This Week Listen, in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Hockey's not going right now, but it doesn't mean that we can't find plenty of stuff to talk about. We bring it to you every single Tuesday night here on the home of your St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. Along with Alex Ferrario and my broadcast partner, Joe Vitale, I'm Chris Kerber. Glad to have you with us on a Tuesday night, every Tuesday from 6 to 8. Earlier in the program, you heard from Keith Kachuk. He was part of the Blues scouting staff that uh, helped Scott, scout Scott Perunovich, who the Blues late last week announced that they have agreed to terms with. Well, the guy that knows him from a coaching standpoint better than anybody else right now is Scott Sandel, and he is the head coach of the University of Minnesota Duluth program, and he's been uh, with the program since right around the turn of the new century in 2000, and he's kind enough to join us here on This Week in Hockey. Scott, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time tonight. How are you doing in Minnesota? Uh, doing good. Hope you guys are doing good. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we we are. Uh, everyone just trying to kind of manage and get through, and uh, we're giving everybody yeah. a break by actually getting a chance to talk some hockey, which is nice. <laughs> which is good. Which is good. Yeah, we've we've talked about that uh, with some of the other coaches too. Just trying to communicate a little bit uh, through this whole stuff, but to kind of keep hockey on our minds as well. I want keeping it timely. I'll ask you in just a second here uh, more about Scott Perunovich, but you you guys. We're on a run with back-to-back national championships. Had an opportunity to to go for your third straight national championship, and just I mean, it's rare just to go back to back these days in college hockey with the competition the way it is. Much less have a chance to win three in a row. How did you, as a head coach and a leader of the program and and, and a leader of young men in this situation, handle the current situation and the I guess the disappointment of not getting a crack at it right now? Uh, with your hockey team at the as this pandemic broke out, yeah, it was it was difficult. Uh, we kind of first we, we were entering our, our league playoff uh, our first round and and uh, got off the ice on a Thursday and my hockey ops uh, guy was waiting for me to to tell me that uh, we might not be playing on the weekend and we got the message shortly after that our league playoff and league tournament was canceled, but we hadn't heard anything yet on the NCAA tournament. So we met with our players and kind of told them uh, what was going on. And, and about three hours later, uh, the news came out that the season was done. So we had already had our meeting and kind of sent our guys on their way for the weekend and told them to reconvene on Monday, but uh, we never got that opportunity to do that. So our last uh, communication or team meeting was via conference call the following monday so that was tough and a lot of a lot of emotion um you know there wasn't a lot of closure to it and obviously you feel bad for you know your seniors that uh right kind of their last go but uh, also just you know all your players and, and our group was was really ready and excited about the playoffs and, and having a chance to to maybe try and three-peat Scott Sandlin joining us. He is the head coach of the University of Minnesota Duluth program. Uh, Scott Perunovich, who the Blues just agreed to terms with, as, uh, is now part of the Blues organization. And Scott, what can you tell us about Mr. Perunovich and, and the type of player that uh, will be joining the Blues organization? Uh, well, you're going to like him. Um, you know, obviously, not, he's an undersized player, but uh, tremendous hockey IQ. Um, great vision, great great. Uh, Big playmaker. He's got really good offensive ability. Um, just uh, he was a guy for us that was certainly our catalyst offensively, but can control the game and uh, just just a fun player to watch. Uh, you know, game in and game out, and, and just really 
kind of developed over his three years here. I thought his, his second year he went through some injuries, so uh, it's probably why you didn't see him sign at the end of last year, but uh, came back this year healthy, and and obviously you see what his numbers are and what he's done, and hopefully we're we're, we're still counting and crossing our fingers that he wins the Holby Baker Award here in, in a couple of weeks, and uh, that would be a pretty uh, a special achievement for him. But he, he's a dynamic player, fun to watch. Uh, he's been a, a pleasure to coach, and uh, you guys are going to like him a lot. Scott, we just talked to Keith Kachuk, who was you know one of the main guys here with the St. Louis Blues as far as recruiting him, scouting mm-hmm. him, obviously getting him signed here. You know, he he said something I really loved. He said, "This is a kid who's got a fire in his belly. He doesn't take any crap from no one." Uh, what are some of the intangibles about his personality or some characteristic traits, maybe off the off the ice, that this Blues locker room is really going to enjoy? Well, I, you want me to give you the politically correct answer or the real answer? The um, real one. Real one. <laughs> you know what? Um, you know, Scotty is—he's he, a great—he's a fun personality. Um, he's just—he's he's an Iron Ranger. We're, we're both from the same hometown, so he's got a little stubbornness to him. But um, just—it was just a pleasure to coach him because uh, for me, we had a tremendous relationship, and uh, you know. I thought he was very coachable, very receptive to a lot of things. But uh, he's a, he's a funny guy. Uh, there's no question. Um, you know, I always joke him and Nick Wolf were partners. Uh, Nick just signed with Boston. Completely opposite. One was six foot five, <laughs> and the other's five foot nine, five ten, and totally different players. And they were complete opposites, which is probably why they got along so well. But uh, no, it was uh, we're going to miss both of them for sure. But uh, he, he's just a, he's a fun person to be around. At, uh, he's a competitor. There's no question. He doesn't like to lose, and um, you'll see that hopefully uh, when you get him there. Scott, you've experienced this playing in the NHL and then now being a head coach in the collegiate level, and you've had players who have played for you now are in the NHL. What's the most difficult part from a head coach perspective of players transitioning from the college level right into the NHL? Well, I think I think the biggest thing is some guys don't understand how hard it is. Um, you know, the game has changed a lot, too, uh, since back when I played. But, uh, you know, the game is so fast. The guys are strong. And, and it's just the pace of the game is different. But I, I just think a lot of guys uh, don't really understand how difficult it is and how, how good that level is. I mean, we watch it all the time. But I think when you, when you get right into it, uh, I mean, the players now are – are even better than, than back when I played. And uh, I, I just think just getting them to understand, you know, that number one, it's going to be their job. Uh, number two, how difficult it is and the commitment level that you have to have. And, you know, you're going to go through some ups and downs. And, you know, to me, the biggest part is being mentally ready for some of those. Uh, I think a lot of guys look at, you know, how much fun it is and, you know, the, the opportunity to play at the highest level, but some guys, you know, are going to go through some struggles. And, you know, I think uh, the biggest thing is having people believe in you in an organization. And, and that's why I'm really happy that Scott signed with them because, you know, they drafted him and, and they built a good relationship with him, with Keith and their staff, and, and they've been around a lot. So I think Scott feels very comfortable with that. So I know he's going to a good spot, obviously a very good team. So uh, I'm excited for him to, to have that opportunity. Jeremy Rutherford, who writes for The Athletic here in St. Louis, I think has done some terrific reporting on on Scott and had some great comments and some really good quotes, not just when he just recently signed, but but leading up to the decision that that was coming. 
And one of the things that I got from that, having not had a chance to sit and talk with Scott personally yet, is I get a real sense of loyalty from him. I, I get a sense. You mentioned that he was comfortable. I, I just get this sense that to him, not only feeling comfortable, but part of his character appears to be this sense of loyalty. The Blues drafted me. They've been good. They had Keith Kachuk continuing to come to games. Uh, you know, um, uh, Taylor coming to games. They, they had they had different guys that stayed in touch with him. And his quotes have said how much that has meant to him through this process. Is is that loyalty uh, probably just to his surroundings an important part of his character? Yes, for sure. And I think that's one of the reasons I was excited uh, that, you know, he made that decision to, to sign with them because I know they, they have been around a lot the last two years. And, you know, again, I think that's the, the, the neat thing kind of in today's world, even with, with draft picks. Scott was obviously a little later draft pick, so the, the window was a little shorter than maybe four years. But, you know, these guys develop relationships with, with a lot of the organization's people over that time, going to development camps, different things like that. And I thought they did a great job in, in uh, you know, being around and communicating. And, you know, uh, I know they're, they're around quite a bit this year. And I think the one big thing, too, when, when Doug Armstrong came to, to Kalamazoo to watch us play, I think that really really hit home with him and really meant a lot to him, too. So um, I think they did a great job. And like I said, I'm excited for him to have that opportunity to, to play in the organization and hopefully he can, he can help them. Scott, I got a, I got a general college coach question for you. Uh, for mm -hmm. example, with you, you coach Justin Falk, he plays one year, he leaves uh, this new Scott Brutovich. He plays three years. He leaves from, from a coaching perspective and from, I guess, a, a club perspective, how do you measure success as a coach and as a team? Is it, is it the national championships that you've won? Or is it more so what, what Scott's done as, as far as progressing on to the National Hockey League? Well, yeah, I think it's a little, you know, a little bit of both. I, you know, I mean, winning's hard. I mean, we all know that. I mean, obviously, I think that's a bright byproduct of having some good, good kids and, and, and good players. And, and, and we've been fortunate there to, to do that. But uh, to me as a coach, it's, it's the thing I like about this level is, is bringing those players in as freshmen and, and just kind of watching them grow and, you know, Falker was a different different animal. I thought, uh, you know, he came out of the development program was 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 really farther along physically and mentally uh, than maybe some kids are, maybe as freshmen. And I know when he was here for that year, I know at Christmas time, I pretty much knew that he was probably not going to be with us uh, too long. Uh, I was hoping that was going to be more in one year, but uh, you know, we ended up winning that year, so that was pretty pretty cool for him. But uh, you know, some guys need that development time, and that's that's the fun part is watching those kids mature and, and grow and go through some ups and downs. And, you know, here it's uh, you know a lot different than than that next level. I mean, they're going to get opportunities, and you know we're going to let them make mistakes and, and grow. And and sometimes you don't get those opportunities to make a ton of mistakes up there. You know, you got to be ready mentally, you got to be ready physically, and I think that's that's a big challenge. But uh, you know, I think everybody's at a different stage, and, and some some guys uh, are probably a little more ready. But I don't know if you're ever fully ready to, to make that jump. Uh, you got to go through that stuff uh, personally. But you know, it's been fun to watch Scott grow um, and go through some of those ups and downs. Like I, like I mentioned two years ago, you know, he was he was not a health, not healthy most of the year, but he still kind of fought through that and, and had a pretty good year. But got healthy this year and 
and really had a, a dynamic year for us. And, uh, you know, right now he's leaving our program a much more confident player and I think ready for that next step, even though he knows it's going to be a, a difficult challenge. And, but he's ready for that. And so I think that's the fun part of, of being in college and watching these guys uh, over their time here. Scott, I would I would assume that sooner or later scouts are just going to kind of build up a mainstay at Minnesota Duluth when you think of the products that are starting to be a part of the St. Louis Blues with Justin Falk and then Scott Perunovich and starting to see the St. Louis product be uh, coming from Minnesota Duluth. Well, good. I, I, I hope you guys keep taking guys and uh, enjoy watching the teams at night. So, uh, no, it's, it's, it's fun, to, it's fun to, to see those guys get the opportunities and you know, they work for them, and you know they know there's a lot of work ahead. But uh, like I said, it's it, it's just fun for us. It's, it's very rewarding. But as a coach, uh, you're really excited for them, and and uh, you know we just want to you know hope that they can continue to play as long as they they can and have long careers and, and successful careers. Last thing for you, Scott. And thanks for giving us a few minutes uh, tonight thanks. here. Uh, how? Has the St. Louis region grown in terms of a recruiting bed for college hockey? Um, it's grown a lot. I mean, you look at the well, you've had a lot of a lot of uh, former former players that uh, you know have made that their home, and you know you can go through a lot of those a lot of those guys. Uh, you know, their their sons uh, have moved on to college hockey or even major junior, and you know, again, those bloodlines uh, those are great. You know. You look at those when we're recruiting too, but uh, it's great. I think the, the game has grown so much in our country from so many maybe of the non-traditional markets. I wouldn't consider St. Louis a non-traditional market, but you know because of the NHL and because of where you know the teams are and the exposure it gets, it's it's certainly helped grow our game and uh, it's it's awesome to see. You know, uh, you know we live in a pretty good hockey state here in Minnesota, but uh, it, it's great to see kids coming from different parts of the country and. You know, uh, I could say California is another one that's that's really grown too. But it's it, it's uh, it makes it makes recruiting uh, fun because you get to go to some different parts. But uh, it's just great to see, and I think that a lot of it has to do with uh, you know where the NHL is taking its game. Well, listen, uh, we appreciate you giving us some time here tonight. Uh, I had a chance to get up to. Uh, it was a couple years ago. We had an off night in St. Paul, so a friend and I drove up. I went to Miami of Ohio, so we drove up and watched you kick the living tar out of Miami of Ohio there. And uh, but but uh, I got a chance to meet Bob Nygaard that night and stuff, and he, he's been great. I appreciate him uh, helping set this up for us tonight and giving our fans a little look into your program and to Scott Perunovich. So you've got some great people you work with. Congratulations on the success, continued success when things get rolling again, and uh, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time tonight. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. You got stay, it. Stay safe. That is a uh, former NHLer Scott Sandlin now, and he's been what about twenty years now as head coach at University of Minnesota Duluth, and he gave you a little insight there into Scott Perunovich. Uh, we'll come back in just a quick moment here on this week in hockey on one hundred and one ESPN. Back in this week in hockey, Alex Ferrario, Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale with you here until 8 o'clock this evening. The hometown hero, Pat Maroon, is going to join us in seven minutes, so make sure you stay tuned. But, Kerbs, I'm a hometown. Hey, listen, the, my daughter, Gracie, loves yep. that so much, and I bought her. I bought the T-shirt that says hometown hero on it, and it has that face-off play diagrammed uh-huh. on it. And it, it's just the funniest thing in the world, because even now, even this time later... 
You'll just she'll just walk down the hallway and let it rip. I'm a hometown hero, so, baby. So Pat I, Maroon I laughing. Pat Maroon did an Instagram live video a couple of days ago. He's been doing them just letting the fans kind of ask questions and stuff. You wouldn't believe how many comments come up that just say, I'm a hometown hero, baby. Uh, like that is just synonymous with Pat Maroon now. It 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 uh, really go ahead, Joe. I was gonna say I remember curbs just leading up to that goal against <laughs> Dallas. I I've never seen you so zeroed in, where like dialed in with laser beams. Like I remember after after regulation ended, you've never said this to me. You looked at me and go, "Hey, keep an eye on that puck. We can't miss this." I go, "I go, well, of course." He goes, "No, but I mean it. Keep an eye on that puck." I was never so laser focused as I was in that game. The excite- I was so scared to screw that up. The excitement in your voice and Joe's voice. I mean, you just can't touch it. Between you with the call, nailed it, and then Joe in the background going, "It's in, it's in." I mean, yeah, you can't I'm top tell that. You something. Like, so, like, like the anatomy of a call. All right. Now, when I say this, understand that this is just my opinion. I'm sure broadcasters will break these things down in different ways at all these different times. But do you remember the intermission before that? So, at the end of the first intermission. Or at, I'm sorry, at, at the end of, of the first... Um, overtime? The first overtime. Yeah. We, things are kind of a little bit crazy, right? We had we had two or three people in the booth. We, you know, you, Amy Mark scores, uh, Ben Boyd. Yeah. And everyone's okay, boom. And we, and we said, hey, hang on a minute. We just kind of, we all huddled up. And we said, listen to me. Okay, we, we all got to focus on a job here. Because a couple things can happen in a real hurry, and we've got to be able to handle it. The one scenario, Blues win, you move on to the conference finals. For the second time in a couple of years. That story will tell itself. But if Dallas scores, we still, in that same immediate moment, have to put the season in perspective. Same right. thing we went through in Game 7 in Boston, right? So you're kind of thinking this. You remember everybody in the booth kind of calmed down. We got all serious. I mean, the fact that we had you, Joe, Gracie was standing yeah. in the booth, right? That kind of stuff. And and nobody jumped all over anybody. Everybody got it, got through. The excitement was in there. Um, I the, the call to St. Louis and Pat Maroon just kind of hit you. And and I'm telling you something. And I hope when people replay that call, that they play through Joey's comments. Yeah, because a lot of times as a play-by-play guy, you'll get people ah, you nailed that. I'm telling you, the analysts nail it too, and Joe did. Started talking about him playing, you know, it was what you dream about, you know, knee hockey, playing hockey on your knees in your garage, and, and boom. And, and it was such a perfect moment that you just you, – you put all that into perspective, but you're right. You're going, hey, look, because I told you, sometimes from our angle, you can't see when the puck goes in. I mean, somebody blocks it. Right. Something happens. That one, I just happened to see it hit the post, the back of Ben, and on the ground, and you could see Pat flip it in. So you're kind of all over it. But but you need your analyst. You need your partner to help you sometimes. Because, Joe, there are times I'm looking at you going, I don't know who got that goal, and you're giving me the fingers. Not the finger. Not you're giving me finger. the fingers. Of, <laughs> he of, does that on other games. Of who scored it, because <laughs> sometimes they can be really hard to see. No, it, it really can be. Uh, but like I said, we were right on top of it during that net. And, you know, it's so many memories from that year. Uh, Curves, you've been doing this a long time. And Alex, you're, me and me, obviously, you know, pretty fresh into this thing. And I, I just, I think about the two, my two favorite calls of the year, obviously this one 
and then the Stanley Cup final where yeah. the Blues finally win it. And it's it's hard it's hard to say this, and I feel always feel bad saying this, but from start to finish, from Curbs' call to me coming in into the moment, I I still get I think more goosebumps with the Pat Maroon goal than I do. I agree. When the Stanley Cup, which, which is crazy, it's crazy. You know, the video, too, and Ryan Schulte, who was the engineer at the time, had the great idea of putting the GoPro up in the booth so that he could have the reaction of Curbs and Joey and everyone that was up there. The video gives me goosebumps, too, just seeing the excitement and the enthusiasm of you and Curbs and Curbs' daughter, Gracie, who was jumping up and down in the background, and me and Mamie Mark scores in the back, like... When you have the group of people with that excitement, that's the part that kind of gets you choked up from the road that gets you to that point. So you know what my favorite part of that video is? Joe doing the finger guns? No. Those are good. Okay. It was almost, I, I honest to God, it was almost like it had been scripted and it wasn't. But like Joe was saying, that, that boot, like everybody was just so laser focused at even Gracie, right? She ducked underneath the high five of me and Joe, yes. like it's coming. She just bent down while she's still <laughs> typing on her phone, right? She bends down, still typing on her phone, gets right back up. And I'm like, I mean, everything was. And it was an aggressive like was high five. It was it an was, aggressive high five. Those, um, that moment, uh, going back to the anatomy of a call, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, I think that moment helped us immensely. With Game Seven of, of, the, Stanley of the Stanley Cup, Cup. final, w- wouldn't you say, Joe? Oh, big time curbs. I mean, I, I had no obviously practice heading into that Game Seven versus Dallas, and it's funny. I was the next day. I'm driving around after the Blues beat Dallas, and I'm hearing this call, and I'm and it. I don't know why it's it's. I feel so bad saying this, but it didn't really hit me till then how important it is to get a right call. Uh, before I was like, oh, you miss it, you miss it, you get it, you get it, but at that point we had to get it right. And I thought we did. And to me, I'm thinking this is something that's going to be played over and over when our kids and grandkids are listening to games and the memories of the blues hockey and the history. And it kind of hit me in that moment. Like, thank God we got that right. Cause it was a good learning experience <laughs> where you have to do it. Right. Uh, but again, before I, I'm like, ah, you get it right. You get it right. I'm going to do the best I can, but no, you can't do the best you can. You've got to nail this thing. But no, that was certainly some you lose sleep. great anxiety and pressure. This is this is what people are going to be getting starting Thursday and Friday of this week all the way through when we're replaying these games. These moments of remembering what took place in our hour pregame show. I think show. It's a, it is a absolute broadcaster's nightmare to screw up a moment. Oh, yeah, I would imagine. That, but that's the coolest part about the job is you never know when that moment's going to happen. Speaking of a moment, let's bring in the big guy, the hometown hero, Pat Maroon, joins us now and. uh Pat, uh, Curbs, Joe, Alex Ferrario with you. Thanks for giving us a few minutes here, buddy. How are you tonight? Uh, thanks for having me, boys. I appreciate it. Awesome to have you. you listen, we were going back, kind of reliving the anatomy of a call on on that big Game 7 goal. Have, uh, have you ever sat back and just thought of every aspect of that goal and how it came about, starting with the conversation that you and Tyler and um, – and, and, Robert Thomas had uh, prior to the faceoff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I sit back and think about it all the time, and um, you kind of, you know, they, they had the reruns, you know, the other day on NHL Network, even of the Stanley Cup Finals. I watched them. I haven't watched one game. I haven't watched reruns, and um, got the chance to watch the game seven against Dallas also. So, um, 
you know, just playing in your back of your mind. We've been doing that play since we've been on the line together, and then to execute it, it's just a, it's just a, just an icing on the cake, I think. And you know, Tomer made a heck of a play, but everyone knows Bozak's an unbelievable faceoff, you know, faceoff player. So, uh, you know, it's just you kind of run back in your head sometimes, and you're bored. It's just like I can't believe I did that. Pat, you signed the new deal over the summer with the Tampa Bay Lightning. You're before the season gets suspended. Obviously, you're contending for another title uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I was talking to your parents at Kirkwood Ice Spring a couple weeks ago. How awesome would that have been? Or we may still see it, but Tampa Bay and St. Louis in the final. But do you ever kind of look back on uh, on your career in last season, especially now it's a lot of downtime? Uh, how much do you miss uh, playing in front of these hometown fans? You know, I do miss it a lot. You know, I, I would lie and say, you know, I, I didn't miss it, but I really do miss it, Joe. And, um, you know, St. Louis is a is all, probably one of the best sports towns. I think it's undercover. People really, really don't really see it until they come. And I think last year with, you know, us making our run and then, you know, everyone seeing the fan and the fan base and not only the Cardinals and uh, the Blues, the relationship they have, and now the I saw the Battle Hawks and they were selling out, you know, on their game. So it's just like we really are a sports town. I miss the fans. Um, you know, coming back here playing this year really missed home for me. It really hit hard for me, but uh, there's nothing. You know, like you, like Joe. You know, it's a business. There's nothing you can do. You can, you know. I feel like I made my mark here, and and it was I guess not meant to be to shine here again. Uh, this year, but you know I'm in a great situation in Tampa right now. Hey Pat, I've always wanted to ask you this and never got the chance to when the season wrapped up. But what was that conversation like between you and Ben Bishop? I mean, two guys who grew up in St. Louis, who played high school hockey in St. Louis, who are heroes when it comes to hockey in St. Louis, and, and you just wrapped up a, a very memorable series between the Blues and Stars. Honestly, it was just a hug, you know, just a. You know, great job, great game. Him congratulating me. I think it was just a quick, you know, couple one-hitters there. There was nothing. We didn't really talk much. You know, obviously it's an iconic picture with the with the flag in the back. But, you know, I didn't really want to say much. Everyone knows what kind of game Ben had. And um, and everyone knows I got that bounce. And I went to the net and got the, got the rebound. So, I think we just kind of left it at that. I haven't talked to him about it. You know, it's obviously – you never want to bring it up to a friend or, you know, because he was one save or one goal away from their team moving on too. Pat Maroon joining us here on This Week in Hockey, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning forward. How has your reunion with John Cooper gone? It's going good, yeah. Uh, it's been great. He's been good for the guys this year. Um, everyone's kind of responding to him. Uh, it's, it's been It's been a fun year, so... Uh, it's good to reunite with Coop. Uh, obviously, we have history together, but uh, we obviously moved on and we're older and mature now. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of nice to, you know, be at that organization, kind of knowing what they went through last year. And hopefully, you know, we can put something special together here when the season starts back up. Well, Pat, with Tampa, of course, you guys, you know, struggled quite a bit early on this season. How much did Steven Stamkos and, and Cooper and, and players? How much did how much did they lean on you? Obviously, you're coming off a Stanley Cup championship. You just get traded to the team or sign it with the team. 
Uh, how, how, how productive were you as far as kind of getting this thing going from off the rails to back on the right track? You know, that's a good question. I wasn't really that productive. If they had questions, you know, to answer, you know, I would say my things that I need to say in between periods or before the game. Uh, but other than that, I really wasn't that much. I mean, Stammer does a heck of a job of leading the team on the the right in the right direction. Uh, Coop did a good job of just staying calm, staying patient with our team at the beginning of the year. There's no point of uh, getting antsy. You know, I think uh, – you know, I was feeling it too. The media was kind of all over us at the beginning of the year about, you know, the Columbus Blue Jackets beating them last year. And I was kind of feeling that maybe that was weighing on their shoulders a little bit. That's probably why we had the slow start. But I think guys found a way, bought in, and uh, everyone's kind of buying in. And everyone knows kind of how what it takes. You know, when you play caliber teams and you see and they beat you and you see their tendencies and how they play the right way, it's you kind of follow that direction. I think we've Coop, Stammer, Hetty, um, all the veterans have done a really good job of just making sure we, we stay the course, stay patient, not get too frustrated. Hey, Pat, we had some fun earlier in the show, uh, put Curbs and Joey against each other with uh, some of the <laughs> NHL Players Associations, uh, some of the the, uh, the conversations that the players voted on, and one of them was the best trash talker, where you were a part of the top four. Um, but I'm just curious your thoughts. Uh, who is the best trash talker in Pat Maroon's eyes in the NHL? Uh, he's out of the game now. I would say Steve Ott, um, hands down. I know he coached me last year, but I played against him all my years. If he was in the league, I think he would be number one. Um, I mean, that was one of the guys that always had good one-liners and good comebacks, and it, he always got me. So uh, there's nothing I can do. But obviously, Marshawn, I think he he was number one. I think because he obviously he is he's engaged a lot. He's in every scrum. He's talking. So um, obviously, Revo's a really good one. Revo's a really good trash talker. He can really. Um, make you feel uh, small out there, that's for sure. So uh, uh, I'm just happy to be in that category. I mean, I don't know what I say or what I do, but you know, I just I just try to you know just play my part. Well, you deserved more than 3.8%, that's for sure. Hey, thanks, Curves. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, Pat, we, we appreciate you uh, you giving us a few minutes and uh, and stuff. Uh, hopefully we'll get to see you back out on the nice real soon. Keep, keep that run going with Tampa and, Let's let's put these two franchises on a collision course. How's that sound? That sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I would hate that. You know what I mean? But I, I understand. <laughs> you'd hate it, but you'd love it. It would definitely not be uh, a fun seven-game series, that's for sure. But you know what? If it happens, you know, I'm ready for it. I'm sure everyone else is ready for it. You know, I'm sure St. Louis is ready for another cup run because we had, they had so much fun last year with the fans. So, Hopefully we can bring something special back to Tampa too. But again, thanks again for having me. And I just want to say something. Stay safe out there. Curbs, I love your uh, Twitter, reading the books. That's great. Thanks, buddy. I think that's fantastic. Uh, but Joey, everyone else, stay safe. You know, say hi to your families and make sure uh, and everyone's just doing the right things to get this thing going. Pat, you're a hometown hero, baby. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Pat. That is that is Pat Maroon joining us here, and uh, always great to hear from him. God, it is. Yeah, he. You know what? I man, I'll tell you what. He, he, 
He gambled on himself, and it paid off with his name Heck on yeah. the Stanley Cup. Heck yeah, it did. Yep. All right, when we come back on This Week in Hockey, two things for you. One, a hockey interview from the archives from one of the most famous athletes in U.S. sports history. I'll tease you with that one. And number two, I've got a question for you and Joe that relates to an amazing stat about the Montreal Canadiens. That's coming up on This Week in Hockey. Welcome back, everybody. Final segment here on This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale with you. A reminder that tomorrow night it's the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors behind the bench. Chris Kerber will talk with John Kelly and Bobby Plager. Preview are, are looking back on spotlighting Scotty Bowman. as yeah, the we're profiling Scotty Bowman this week. That's yep. what I was looking for. And then Thursday night is the first Play Gloria on our station where we will be bringing you the Craig Berube first victory as the head coach of the St. Louis Blues that's a 7 o'clock puck drop, but we'll be doing an hour live pregame show. Myself, Curbs, Joe Vitale, uh, kind of doing a pregame, postgame show of that, and that's presented by Mitsubishi Electric um, Cooling and Heating. So all of that coming your way the rest of this weekend. Guys, a lot of people on social media loving the conversation with Pat Maroon. One, it's just great to hear from Pat Maroon. People are texting in at 65780, but a lot of people tweeting me saying that uh, bringing back all of those memories of Game 7 is just something that the people really needed right now, so it's I'm cool sure to see that did, reaction. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. All right, I got a question for you. The St. Louis Blues, I, I did a little research today, Joe. Okay. The St. Louis Blues in their franchise history, so since the 1967-68 season, has missed, they've missed the playoffs nine times total. Nine mm. times, basically, in 53 years, right? Okay. I went back through every single team in the National Hockey League in that time frame, okay? There is one team. That, well, I should say, okay, there are two teams that have missed the playoffs Fewer than the St. Louis Blues in that time, but only one team that has been in the NHL throughout that stretch. What was that time length again? Okay, so since from 1967, the 67-68 season, okay, there's only one team that has been in the playoffs, or that has been in the National Hockey League, as long as the St. Louis Blues have been in the National Hockey League, that has missed the playoffs fewer times than the St. Louis Blues. Blues. What team is it? It's one of 12 teams. So the original six plus the expansion six. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say the Red Wings. Okay. Joe, what about you? Uh, Rangers? Nope. The Boston Bruins. Wow. Oh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so just, just real quick here. Original six, right? Boston's since, since the 67-68 season. The Boston Bruins have missed the playoffs seven times. Toronto. Now in that. 66-67 season, the year before, Toronto won the Stanley Cup. They've missed the playoffs 21 years. All right, in that window. They've missed 10 times in the last 14 years. Detroit, believe it or not, Detroit's missed 19 times in that window. Wow. The New York Rangers have missed 14 times in that window. And then, uh, what's the other original six? Oh, okay, the Montreal Canadiens. All right, Montreal has missed 11. But here's the stat that just blows your mind here. How many times, just take a guess, since 1918, holy smokes, since the almost Spanish flu year. Spanish right? flu. That is the Spanish okay. flu All right. year. All right. 
How many times since 1918 do you think the Montreal Canadiens have missed the playoffs? Since 1918? Yep. I'd say 11. No, so you're I, saying that they have not missed one I, I more said, time? I said the Montreal Canadiens have missed 11 since 67, 68. You're saying they only missed one time between 1918 and 1967? Well, obviously not now, so I'll change my answer. Yeah. So thank you. Go ahead and change your answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, Joe, you guess first, though. I thought it was a trick question. <laughs> you were the one that I'll always went up. C when you knew it was D. Yeah. Right. What do you got, Joe? <laughs> I'll double up and say 22 times. Okay. Uh, are we going prices right rules? And, and it does not count, obviously, this season. Okay. So I'll say 15. Okay. Only 18 total times. Since 1918. Wow. 18 times in basically 102 years. So seven times from 18 to 67, 68. But here's, right, here's, this is what will blow your mind. Okay, now, and you think, okay, well, it was only, there were only six teams in there. Well, Chicago, I mean, all the other original six have longer stretches, much longer. But weren't there less playoff spots available with six teams? Yeah, but but again, that's that's the point, though, is is those other original six teams have a lot more gaps than the Montreal Canadiens did. But check this out. If the Montreal Canadiens were to miss the playoffs this season, so the season ends as is, Montreal is out, right? And it looks like they're going to, all right? It will only be, it will only be the third time in franchise history that the Canadians have missed the playoffs three straight years. And they have never missed the playoffs in four straight years. Wow. wow. Never. Now, what's even more amazing, so think about this. In the 100 and two-year existence. They've so if we don't count this year, in the hundred and two-year existence, they've they've only missed the playoffs three years in a row twice. Except for those times, they have never missed the playoffs two years in a row. Every other time was just one year missed and right back in. Like, mm. I mean, it is really phenomenal. Yeah. Just flat out well, amazing I, what they've done. It, and you can see, I mean, that. Right there. I mean, that's stat. To me, anyway, I mean, it gives me a lot of perspective into why Montreal's so impatient about why they haven't been back. I think it was 2017, that Rangers-Montreal, which was a good series. I think they got bounced in the first round. I right. remember that. Uh, was that back in 2017? Yes. Uh, so, there. Yeah. So, I mean, but, yeah, 2017, they lost right. to the Rangers. I remember that. I think they went like six or seven. But, anyway, since then, you know, I mean, 2017, that's pretty recent. I mean – there's been, of course, franchises. Look at the Buffalo Sabres, for instance, for example. Um, I, mean, I got it. <laughs> it I got the number. A long, long time. Yikes. You All know right. what I mean? So here's here's the perspective for you. Okay. The Blues have only missed the playoffs nine times in their franchise history. The Montreal Canadiens have only missed the playoffs 18 times in their franchise history. The rest of these numbers, I won't go through every team, but I'll just rattle off some ones for you, okay? The rest of these numbers, again, are just from the 67-68 season to now. So since expansion. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. The New York Islanders, 21 times. That's despite having four straight Stanley Cup champions. The New Jersey Devils, 21 times. The Florida Panthers, 20 times. They've only made the playoffs five times in franchise history. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, now this includes their time in Hartford, so that franchise, 25 times. All right? Nine times. They, they've missed the playoffs nine times out of the last ten. Go down. uh Vancouver, 21 times. Arizona, 20 times. Here's another stat on the positive side, okay? 
since so the San Jose Sharks came into the National Hockey League in 91-92. They've only missed the playoffs six times. This year would be the seventh time. That's pretty doggone good. Anyway, it, it's an interesting number when you look at uh, look at how that twenty again, that twenty one for New Jersey's real surprising to me because the uh-huh. years of Marty Brodeur. I mean, to, to have twenty one in that franchise history is incredible. So twenty one since since they came in, you know, since the basically since the and, and I didn't count the time of the Rockies. So since since right. they became the New Jersey Devils. Now, just quick Stanley Cup numbers for you on this. In the last eleven years, only seven teams have won the Stanley Cup because you've had some teams that that have repeated, right? Right. How many teams have won the Stanley Cup since the 1968, since since Boston came in and beat the St. Louis Blues? How many teams? How many total teams have won the Stanley Cup? Oh, uh, baby. Wow. Um, I'd say... Oh. I'd say 18. Joe? I'm going to go I'm gonna go the under. I'm not sure exactly, okay. but I'm going to go the under. One over, 19. Wow. 19. Ah, okay. 19. But still gives you a lot that have not. Yeah. So anyway... I'm Wait. just trying to list the ones in my head, and I, like I got ten immediately. So yeah, I mean, so how, again, I, I got one for you. Just yeah. follow this up, curve. How do the Blues go from 1979 to 2004 without <laughs> missing the playoffs <laughs> once and not win one cup? That's 25 years in a row they make the playoffs and they don't win one okay. cup. How is that possible? Can I throw something out at you? The Chicago Blackhawks and the Boston Bruins did the same thing. The Chicago Blackhawks had made it, uh, what, 27 years in a row? The Boston Bruins made it 29 in a row? Really? Wow. Jeez. You know, I mean, so it has, some people say it's mediocrity, but it just shows you how hard it was to actually still put a streak like right. that together. All right, we, we got to close with this. You got it. Congrat. Well, put, props to the National Hockey League for putting this out. St. Louis and Yogi Berra went to a hockey game. And this was an interview when he was interviewed during the game. Listen to how he talks about the game of hockey. How cool is that? Just the way he said, the way they form the line and pass. How, how awesome is that interview, Joe? Oh, unbelievable. I mean, uh, Curbs, I, I had a home off Daggett on the hill. You know, Yogi has his house off. I think, I think it was Elizabeth. Elizabeth, Avenue. yep. I want to say, was it Elizabeth? My grandma, oh, my grandma lived two houses down from him her entire life. Joe Garagelo, Yogi Bear, yep. and Jack Buck. They all lived in the same block. Um, to hear him talk with that kind of – Hill, St. Louis, kind of yep. slash New York Yankee accent. But you know what? The way he hands on to the puck and they're moving the puck in the sky. I mean, uh, <laughs> that, that that guy was just something else. I don't know. That, that was a great piece right there. So if, if, if fans go down a little further on my Twitter feed, I retweeted it. It was put out by the National Hockey League. And I, I think that interview was done, I think it might have been at the Montreal Forum. I don't know. It was hard to see the way it was, but I think I think it might have been done in Montreal. But then they followed it up with an interview with with Phil Rizzuto. So it goes right from Yogi Bear to Phil Rizzuto talking That's hockey. Awesome. Just awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. That's great. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us tonight here on This Week in Hockey. Uh, make sure you stay tuned. Tomorrow night we have the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors show behind the bench. Curbs uh, along with John Kelly and Bobby Plager will be a part of that. And then Thursday night will be Play Gloria, the first of many reruns from last season, the St. Louis Blues victory. Craig Berube's first win as the Blues head coach. So that'll be Thursday night at 7. We will have a pregame show presented by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating starting at 6 o'clock. And then Friday night will be Bennington's first victory as well. Curbs, Joey, thank you so much, fellas. Nice show tonight, Alex. Good job. There you go. Big thank you to Curbs. Thanks, man. There you go. Big thank you to Dan Betlock. More to come on 101 ESPN.